Section 16. The Program of Transitional Demands in Fascist Countries it is a far cry today from the time when the strategists of the common turn announced the victory of hitler as being merely a step toward the victory of tailman tailman has been in hitler's prisons now for more than five years mussolini has held italy enchained by fascism for more than sixteen years throughout this time the parties of the second and third internationals have been impotent not only to conduct a mass movement but even to create a serious illegal organization even to some extent comparable to the russian revolutionary parties during the epoch of czarism not the least reason exists for explaining these failures by reference to the power of fascist ideology essentially mussolini never advanced any sort of ideology Hitler's ideology never seriously gripped the workers. Those layers of the population, which at one time were intoxicated with fascism, i.e. chiefly the middle classes, have had enough time in which to sober up. The fact that a somewhat perceptible opposition is limited to Protestant and Catholic church circles is not explained by the might of the semi-delirious and semi-charlatan theories of race and blood but by the terrific collapse of the ideologies of democracy social democracy and the common turn after the massacre of the paris commune black reaction reigned for nearly eight years after the defeat of the 1905 revolution the toiling masses remained in a stupor for almost as long a period but in both instances the phenomenon was only one of physical defeat conditioned by the relationship of forces in russia in addition it concerned an almost virgin proletariat the bolshevik faction had at that time not celebrated even its third birthday it is completely otherwise in germany where the leadership came from powerful parties one of which had existed for seventy years the other almost fifteen both of these parties with millions of voters behind them were morally paralyzed before the battle and capitulated without a battle history has recorded no parallel catastrophe the german proletariat was not smashed by the enemy in battle it was crushed by the cowardice baseness and perfidy of its own parties small wonder then that it had lost faith in everything in which it had been accustomed to believe for almost three generations hitler's victory in turn strengthened mussolini the protracted failure of revolutionary work in spain or germany is but the reward for the criminal politics of the social democracy and the common turn illegal work needs not only the sympathy of the masses but the conscious enthusiasm of its advanced strata but can enthusiasm possibly be expected for historically bankrupt organizations the majority of those who come forth as emigre leaders are either demoralized to the very marrow of their bones agents of the kremlin and the gpu 
or social democratic ex-ministers who dream that the workers by some sort of miracle will return them to their lost posts is it possible to imagine even for a minute these gentlemen in the role of future leaders of the anti-fascist revolution and events on the world arena the smashing of the austrian workers the defeat of the spanish revolution the degeneration of the soviet state could not give aid to a revolutionary upsurge in italy and germany since for political information the german and italian workers depend in great measure upon the radio it is possible to say with assurance that the moscow radio station combining thermidorian lies with stupidity and insolence has become the most powerful factor in the demoralization of the workers in the totalitarian states in this respect as in others stalin acts merely as goebbels assistant at the same time the class antagonisms which brought about the victory of fascism continuing their work under fascism too are gradually undermining it the masses are more dissatisfied than ever hundreds and thousands of self-sacrificing workers in spite of everything continue to carry on revolutionary mole work a new generation which has not directly experienced the shattering of old traditions and high hopes has come to the fore irresistibly the molecular preparation of the proletarian revolution proceeds beneath the heavy totalitarian tombstone but for concealed energy to flare up into open revolt it is necessary that the vanguard of the proletariat find new perspectives a new program and a new unblemished banner herein lies the chief handicap it is extremely difficult for workers in fascist countries to make a choice of a new program a program is verified by experience and it is precisely experience in mass movements which is lacking in countries of totalitarian despotism it is very likely that a genuine proletarian success in one of the democratic countries will be necessary to give impetus to the revolutionary movement on fascist territory a similar effect is possible by means of a financial or military catastrophe at present it is imperative that primarily propagandistic preparatory work be carried on which will yield large-scale results only in the future one thing can be stated with conviction even at this point once it breaks through the revolutionary wave in fascist countries will immediately be a grandiose sweep and under no circumstances will stop short at the experiment of resuscitating some sort of weimar corpse it is from this point onward that an uncompromising divergence begins between the fourth international and the old parties which outlive their bankruptcy the emigre people's front is the most malignant and perfidious variety of all possible people's fronts essentially it signifies the impotent longing for a coalition with a non-existent liberal bourgeoisie had it met with success it would simply have prepared a series of new defeats of the spanish type for the proletariat 
a merciless exposure of the theory and practice of the people's front is therefore the first condition for a revolutionary struggle against fascism of course this does not mean that the fourth international rejects democratic slogans as a means of mobilizing the masses against fascism on the contrary such slogans at certain moments can play a serious role but the formulas of democracy freedom of the press the right to unionize etc mean for us only incidental or episodic slogans in the independent movement of the proletariat and not a democratic noose fastened to the neck of the proletariat by the bourgeoisie's agents spain narrator's note in the text we just see the word spain exclamation point in parentheses right after that at the end of the sentence i wasn't sure how to read that in a way that could convey it correctly so i'm just telling you about it now sorry to break the fourth wall there end narrator's notes as soon as the movement assumes something of a mass character the democratic slogans will be intertwined with the transitional ones factory committees it may be supposed will appear before the old routinists rush from their chancelleries to organize trade unions soviets will cover germany before a new constituent assembly will gather in weimar the same will be true of italy and the rest of the totalitarian and semi-totalitarian countries fascism plunged these countries into political barbarism but it did not change their social structure fascism is a tool in the hands of finance capital and not of feudal landowners a revolutionary program should base itself on the dialectics of the class struggle obligatory also to fascist countries and not on the psychology of terrified bankrupts the fourth international rejects with disgust the ways of political masquerade which impelled the stalinists the former heroes of the third period to appear in turn behind the masks of catholics protestants jews german nationalists liberals only in order to hide their own unattractive face the fourth international always and everywhere appears under its own banner it proposes its own program openly to the proletariat in fascist countries the advanced workers of all the world are already firmly convinced that the overthrow of mussolini hitler and their agents and imitators will occur only under the leadership of the fourth international section seventeen the ussr and problems of the transitional epoch the soviet union emerged from the october revolution as a workers state state ownership of the means of production a necessary prerequisite to socialist development opened up the possibility of rapid growth of the productive forces but the apparatus of the workers' states underwent a complete degeneration at the same time. It was transformed from a weapon of the working class into a weapon of bureaucratic violence against the working class, and more and more a weapon for the sabotage of the country's economy. The bureaucratization of a backward and isolated worker states 
and the transformation of the bureaucracy into an all-powerful privileged caste constitute the most convincing refutation not only theoretically but this time practically of the theory of socialism in one country the ussr thus embodies terrific contradictions but it still remains a degenerated worker state such is the social diagnosis the political prognosis has an alternative character either the bureaucracy becoming ever more the organ of the world bourgeoisie in the worker state will overthrow the new forms of property and plunge the country back into capitalism or the working class will crush the bureaucracy and open the way to socialism to the sections of the fourth international the moscow trials came not as a surprise and not as a result of the personal madness of the kremlin dictator but as the legitimate offspring of the thermidor they grew out of the unbearable conflicts within the soviet bureaucracy itself which in turn mirror the contradictions between the bureaucracy and the people as well as the deepening antagonisms among the people themselves the bloody fantastic nature of the trials gives the measure of the intensity of the contradictions and by the same token predicts the approach of the denouement the public utterances of former foreign representatives of the kremlin who refuse to return to moscow irrefutably confirm in their own way that all shades of political thought are to be found among the bureaucracy from genuine bolshevism ignis reis to complete fascism f butenko the revolutionary elements within the bureaucracy only a small minority reflect passively it is true the socialist interests of the proletariat the fascist counter-revolutionary elements growing uninterruptedly express with even greater consistency the interests of world imperialism these candidates for the role of compradors consider not without reason that the new ruling layer can ensure their positions of privilege only through rejection of nationalization collectivization and monopoly of foreign trade in the name of the assimilation of western civilization i e capitalism between these two poles there are intermediate diffused menshevik s r liberal tendencies which gravitate toward bourgeois democracy within the very ranks of that so-called classless society there unquestionably exist groupings exactly similar to those in the bureaucracy only less sharply expressed and in inverse proportions conscious capitalist tendencies distinguish mainly the prosperous part of the collective farms and are characteristic of only a small minority of the population but this layer provides itself with a wide base for petty bourgeois tendencies of accumulating personal wealth at the expense of general poverty and are consciously encouraged by the bureaucracy atop this system of mounting antagonisms trespassing ever more on the social equilibrium the thermidorian oligarchy 
today reduced mainly to Stalin's Bonapartist clique, hangs on by terroristic methods. The latest judicial frame-ups were aimed as a blow against the left. This is true also of the mopping up of leaders of the right opposition, because the right group of the old Bolshevik party, seen from the viewpoint of the bureaucracy's interests and tendencies, represented a left danger. The fact that the Bonapartist clique, likewise in fear of its own right allies of the type of Butenko, is forced in the interests of self-preservation to execute the generation of old Bolsheviks almost to a man, offers indisputable testimony of the vitality of revolutionary traditions among the masses as well as of their growing discontent. Petty bourgeois Democrats of the West, having but yesterday assayed the Moscow trials as unalloyed gold, today repeat insistently that there is neither Trotskyism nor Trotskyists within the USSR. They fail to explain, however, why all the purges are conducted under the banner of a struggle with precisely this danger. If we are to examine Trotskyism as a finished program, and even more to the point, as an organization, then unquestionably Trotskyism is extremely weak in the USSR. However, its indestructible force stems from the fact that it expresses not only revolutionary tradition, but also today's actual opposition of the Russian working class. The social hatred stored up by the workers against the bureaucracy, this is precisely what from the viewpoint of the Kremlin clique constitutes Trotskyism. It fears, with a deathly and thoroughly well-grounded fear, the bond between the deep but inarticulate indignation of the workers and the organization of the Fourth International. The extermination of the generation of old Bolsheviks and of the revolutionary representatives of the middle and young generations has acted to disrupt the political equilibrium still more in favor of the right's bourgeois wing of the bureaucracy and its allies throughout the land. From them, i.e., from the right, we can expect ever more determined attempts in the next period to revise the socialist character of the USSR and bring it closer in pattern to Western civilization in its fascist form. From this perspective, impelling concreteness is imparted to the question of the defense of the USSR. If tomorrow the bourgeois fascist grouping, the faction of Butenko, so to speak, should attempt the conquest of power, the faction of Reese inevitably would align itself on the opposite side of the barricades. Although it would find itself temporarily the ally of Stalin, it would nevertheless defend not the Bonapartist clique, but the social base of the USSR, i.e., the property wrenched away from the capitalists and transformed into state property. Should the faction of Butenko prove to be in alliance with Hitler, then the faction of Reese would defend the USSR from military intervention inside the country as well as on the world arena. Any other course would be a betrayal.
although it is thus impermissible to deny in advance the possibility in strictly defined instances of a united front with the thermidorian section of the bureaucracy against open attack by capitalist counter-revolution the chief political task in the u s s r still remains the overthrow of this same thermidorian bureaucracy each day added to its domination helps rot the foundations of the socialist elements of the economy and increases the chances for capitalist restoration it is precisely this direction that the common turn moves as the agent and accomplice of the stalinist clique in strangling the spanish revolution and demoralizing the international proletariat as in fascist countries the chief strength of the bureaucracy lies not in itself but in the disillusionment of the masses in their lack of a new perspective as in fascist countries from which stalin's political apparatus does not differ save in more unbridled savagery only preparatory propagandistic work is possible today in the u s s r as in fascist countries the impetus to the soviet workers revolutionary upsurge will probably be given by events outside the country the struggle against the comintern on the world arena is the most important part today of the struggle against the stalinist dictatorship there are many signs that the comintern's downfall because it does not have a direct base in the gpu will precede the downfall of the bonapartist clique and the thermidorian bureaucracy as a whole a fresh upsurge of the revolution in the u s s r will undoubtedly begin under the banner of the struggle against social inequality and political oppression down with the privileges of the bureaucracy down with stakhovanism down with the soviet aristocracy and its ranks and orders greater equality of wages for all forms of labor the struggle for the freedom of the trade unions and the factory committees for the right of assembly and freedom of the press will unfold in the struggle for the regeneration and development of soviet democracy the bureaucracy replaced the soviets as class organs with the fiction of universal electoral rights in the style of hitler goebbels it is necessary to return to the soviets not only their free democratic form but also their class content as once the bourgeoisie and kulaks were not permitted to enter the soviets so now it is necessary to drive the bureaucracy and the new aristocracy out of the soviets in the soviets there is room only for representatives of the workers rank-and-file collective farmers peasants and red army men democratization of the soviets is impossible without legalization of soviet parties the workers and peasants themselves by their own free votes will indicate what parties they recognize as soviet parties a revision of planned economy from top to bottom in the interests of producers and consumers factory committees should be returned the right to control production a democratically organized consumers cooperative should control the quality and price of products 
reorganization of the collective farms in accordance with the will and the interests of the workers there engaged. The reactionary international policy of the bureaucracy should be replaced by the policy of proletarian internationalism. The complete diplomatic correspondence of the Kremlin to be published. Down with secret diplomacy. All political trials staged by the Thermidorian bureaucracy to be reviewed in the light of complete publicity and controversial openness and integrity. Only the victorious revolutionary upspring of the oppressed masses can revive the Soviet regime and guarantee its further development toward socialism. There is but one party capable of leading the Soviet masses to insurrection, the party of the Fourth International, down with the bureaucratic gang of Kane-Stalin, long live Soviet democracy, long live the International Socialist Revolution. Section 18. Against Opportunism and Unprincipled Revisionism The politics of Leon Blum's party in France demonstrate anew that reformists are incapable of learning anything from even the most tragic lessons of history. French social democracy slavishly copies the politics of German social democracy and goes to meet the same end. Within a few decades, the Second International intertwined itself with the bourgeois democratic regime, became in fact a part of it, and is rotting away together with it. The Third International has taken the road of reformism at a time when the crisis of capitalism definitely placed the proletarian revolution on the order of the day. The common turns policy in Spain and China today, the policy of cringing before the democratic and national bourgeoisie, demonstrates that the common turn is likewise incapable of learning anything further or of changing. The bureaucracy, which became a reactionary force in the USSR, cannot play a revolutionary role on the world arena. Anarcho-syndicalism in general has passed through the same kind of evolution. In France, the syndicalist bureaucracy of Leon Jouot has long since become a bourgeois agency in the working class. In Spain, anarcho-syndicalism shook off its ostensible revolutionism and became the fifth wheel in the chariot of bourgeois democracy. Intermediate centrist organizations centered about the London Bureau represent merely left appendages of social democracy or of the common turn. They have displayed a complete inability to make head or tail of the political situation and draw revolutionary conclusions from it. Their highest point was the Spanish POUM, which under revolutionary conditions proved completely incapable of following a revolutionary line. The tragic defeat suffered by the world proletariat over a long period of years doomed the official organizations to yet greater conservatism and simultaneously sent disillusioned petty bourgeois revolutionists in pursuit of new ways. As always during epochs of reaction and decay, quacks and charlatans appear on all sides, 
desirous of revising the whole course of revolutionary thought. Instead of learning from the past, they reject it. Some discover the inconsistency of Marxism. Others announce the downfall of Bolshevism. There are those who put responsibility upon revolutionary doctrine for the mistakes and crimes of those who betrayed it. Others who curse the medicine because it does not guarantee an instantaneous and miraculous cure. The more daring promise to discover a panacea and, in anticipation, recommend the halting of the class struggle. A good many prophets of new morals are preparing to regenerate the labor movements with the help of ethical homeopathy. The majority of these apostles have succeeded in becoming themselves moral invalids before arriving on the field of battle. Thus, under the aspect of new ways, old recipes long since buried in the archives of pre-Marxian socialism are offered to the proletariat. The Fourth International declares uncompromising war on the bureaucracies of the Second, Third, Amsterdam, and Anarcho-Syndicalist Internationals, as on their centrist satellites, on reformism without reforms, democracy in alliance with the GPU, pacifism without peace, anarchism in the service of the bourgeoisie, on revolutionists who live in deathly fear of revolution. All of these organizations are not pledges for the future, but decayed survivals of the past. The epic of wars and revolutions will raise them to the ground. The Fourth International does not search after and does not invent panaceas. It takes its stand completely on Marxism as the only revolutionary doctrine that enables one to understand reality unearth the cause behind the defeats, and consciously prepare for victory. The Fourth International continues the tradition of Bolshevism, which first showed the proletariat how to conquer power. The Fourth International sweeps away the quacks, charlatans, and unsolicited teachers of morals. In a society based upon exploitation, the highest moral is that of the social revolution. All methods are good which raise the class consciousness of the workers, their trust in their own forces, their readiness for self-sacrifice in the struggle. The impermissible methods are those which implant fear and submissiveness in the oppressed before their oppressors, which crush the spirit of protest and indignation, or substitute for the will of the masses the will of the leaders. For conviction, compulsion, for analysis of reality, demagogy, and frame-up. That is why social democracy prostituting Marxism and Stalinism, the antithesis of Bolshevism, are both mortal enemies of the proletarian revolution and its morals. To face reality squarely, not to seek the line of least resistance, to call things by their right names, to speak the truth to the masses no matter how bitter it may be, not to fear obstacles, to be true in little things as in big ones, to base one's program on the logic of the class struggle, to be bold when the hour for action arrives. These are the rules of the Fourth International. 
it has shown that it could swim against the stream. The approaching historical wave will raise it on its crest. Section 19. Against Sectarianism Under the influence of the betrayal of the historical organizations of the proletariat, certain sectarian moods and groupings of various kinds arise or are regenerated at the periphery of the Fourth International. At their base lies a refusal to struggle for partial and transitional demands, i.e., for the elementary interests and needs of the working masses, as they are today. Preparing for the revolution means to the sectarians convincing themselves of the superiority of socialism. They propose turning their backs on the old trade unions, i.e., to tens of millions of organized workers, as if the masses could somehow live outside the conditions of the actual class struggle. They remain indifferent to the inner struggle within reformist organizations, as if one could win the masses without intervening in their daily strife. They refuse to draw a distinction between the bourgeois democracy and fascism, as if the masses could help but feel the difference on every hand. Sectarians are capable of differentiating between but two colors, red and black. So as not to tempt themselves, they simplify reality. They refuse to draw a distinction between the fighting camps in Spain for the reason that both camps have a bourgeois character. For the same reason, they consider it necessary to preserve neutrality in the war between Japan and China. They deny the principal difference between the USSR and the imperialist countries, and, because of the reactionary policies of the Soviet bureaucracy, they reject defense of the new forms of property created by the October Revolution against the onslaughts of imperialism. Incapable of finding access to the masses, they therefore zealously accuse the masses of inability to raise themselves to revolutionary ideas. These sterile politicians generally have no need of a bridge in the form of transitional demands because they do not intend to cross over to the other shore. They simply dawdle in one place, satisfying themselves with a repetition of the same meager abstractions. Political events are for them an occasion for comment, but not for action. Since sectarians, as in general every kind of blunderer and miracle man, are toppled by reality at each step, they live in a state of perpetual exasperation, complaining about the regime and the methods, and ceaselessly wallowing in small intrigues. In their own circles, they customarily carry on a regime of despotism. The political prostration of sectarianism serves to complement, shadow-like, the prostration of opportunism, revealing no revolutionary vistas. In practical politics, sectarians unite with opportunists, particularly with centrists, every time in the struggle against Marxism. Most sectarian groups and cliques, nourished on accidental crumbs from the table of the Fourth International, lead an 
independent organizational existence, with great pretensions, but without the least chance for success. Bolshevik Leninists, without waste of time, calmly leave these groups to their own fate. However, sectarian tendencies are to be found also in our own ranks and display a ruinous influence on the work of the individual sections. It is impossible to make any further compromise with them even for a single day. A correct policy regarding trade unions is a basic condition for adherence to the Fourth International. He who does not seek and does not find the road to the masses is not a fighter, but a dead weight to the party. A program is formulated not for the editorial board or for the leaders of discussion clubs, but for the revolutionary action of millions. The cleansing of the rank of the Fourth International of sectarianism and incurable sectarians is a primary condition for revolutionary success. Section 20. Open the Road to the Woman Worker. Open the Road to the Youth. The defeat of the Spanish Revolution engineered by its leaders, the shameful bankruptcy of the People's Front in France, and the exposure of the Moscow juridical swindles. These three facts in their aggregates deal an irreparable blow to the common turn and, incidentally, grave wounds to its allies, the social democrats and anarcho-syndicalists. This does not mean, of course, that the members of these organizations will immediately turn to the Fourth International. The older generation, having suffered terrible defeats, will leave the movement in significant numbers. In addition, the Fourth International is certainly not striving to become an asylum for revolutionary invalids, disillusioned bureaucrats, and careerists. On the contrary, against a possible influx into our party of petty bourgeois elements, now reigning in the apparatus of the old organizations, strict preventive measures are necessary. A prolonged probationary period for those candidates who are not workers, especially former party bureaucrats. Prevention from holding any responsible post for the first three years, etc. There is not, and there will not be, any place for careerism, the ulcer of old internationals, in the fourth international. Only those who wish to live for the movement, and not at the expense of the movement, will find access to us. The revolutionary workers should feel themselves to be the masters. The doors of our organization are wide open to them. Of course, even among the workers, who had at one time risen to the first ranks, there are not a few tired and disillusioned ones. They will remain, at least for the next period, as bystanders. When a program or an organization wears out, the generation which carried it on its shoulders wears out with it. The movement is revitalized by the youth who are free of responsibility for the past. The Fourth International plays particular attention to the young generation of the proletariat. All of its policies strive to inspire the youth with belief in its own strength and in the future. 
only the fresh enthusiasm and aggressive spirit of the youth can guarantee the preliminary successes in the struggle only these successes can return the best elements of the older generation to the road of revolution thus it was thus it will be opportunist organizations by their very nature concentrate their chief attention on the top layers of the working class and therefore ignore both the youth and the women workers the decay of capitalism however deals its heaviest blows to the women as a wage earner and as a housewife the sections of the fourth international should seek bases of support among the most exploited layers of the working class consequently among the women workers here they will find inexhaustible stores of devotion selflessness and readiness to sacrifice down with the bureaucracy and careerism open the road to the youth turn to the woman worker these slogans are emblazoned on the banner of the fourth international section twenty one under the banner of the fourth international skeptics ask but has the moment for the creation of the fourth international yet arrived it is impossible they say to create an international artificially it can arise only out of great events etc etc all of these objections merely show that skeptics are no good for the building of a new international they are good scarcely for anything at all the fourth international has already arisen out of great events the greatest defeats of the proletariat in history the cause for these defeats is to be found in the degeneration and perfidy of the old leadership. The class struggle does not tolerate an interruption. The third international, following the second, is dead for the purposes of revolution. Long live the fourth international. But has the time yet arrived to proclaim its creation? The skeptics are not quieted down the fourth international we answer has no need of being proclaimed it exists and it fights is it weak yes its ranks are not numerous because it is still young they are as yet chiefly cadres but these cadres are pledges for the future outside these cadres there does not exist a single revolutionary current on this planet really meriting the name if our international be still weak in numbers it is strong in doctrine program tradition in the incomparable tempering of its cadres who does not perceive this today let him in the meantime stand aside tomorrow it will become more evident the fourth international already today is deservedly hated by the stalinists social democrats bourgeois liberals and fascists there is not and there cannot be a place for it in any of the people's fronts it uncompromisingly gives battle to all political groupings tied to the apron strings of the bourgeoisie its task the abolition of capitalism's domination its aim socialism its method proletarian revolution without inner democracy no revolutionary education 
without discipline, no revolutionary action. The inner structure of the Fourth International is based on the principles of democratic centralism, full freedom in discussion, complete unity in action. The present crisis in human culture is the crisis in the proletarian leadership. The advanced workers united in the Fourth International show their class the way out of the crisis. They offer a program based on international experience in the struggle of the proletariat and of all the oppressed of the world for liberation. They offer a spotless banner. Workers, men and women of all countries, place yourselves under the banner of the Fourth International. It is the banner of your approaching victory.